Because I always say that experience is our greatest teacher. So to seek out these novel, uncomfortable things, reject the comfort crisis a little bit, gives us just a little bit more truth as to who we are, where we came from, a little bit more respect and reverence. What's happening, friends? Welcome back to the show. I hope you're comfortable listening to this one because that's what we are talking about, the comfort crisis. Are we maybe civilizing ourselves to death? Are we getting a little too soft because we're getting a little too comfortable? Now, comfort is great, and we've worked very hard to get to a position where we can have all of our creature comforts, but when we get a little too comfortable, we don't really thrive because we are a species with amnesia, and we have forgotten that we need to choose adversity, to choose some sense of suffering in our lives, to really remember who we are, where we came from, and that we're stronger and more capable than we often believe. So we'll be talking all about the comfort crisis and giving you some ideas and frames on how to intentionally embrace discomfort in your lives. And of course, we have our callers. We have questions this week about quantifying your health journey and the quantified self tracking devices and blood work. We talk about reverse osmosis filtered water, remineralizations and gut health probiotics. We talk about how to raise children in today's modern world and the challenges associated with that. And we also talk about family members concerned about our health because of our liver habits and potentially gout and red meat and that whole fun conversation. This is a doozy, friends. Buckle up, get uncomfortable because we're about to get uncomfortable. Let's do it. friends welcome back to the show i hope you're nice and comfortable listening to this episode because that's what i want to talk to you about if you're comfortable then that might be the problem not that comfort is inherently a bad thing but is too much comfort making us a little bit soft you see even the uncomfortable things that we choose now can often be made really comfortable like even if we're working out and sweating we're doing it in a climate controlled environment and the cost of comfort could be and is actually there's a book by an author called the comfort crisis and i've been talking about this for a while and i guess the question is too much of a good thing is a bad thing potentially because it's rubbing up against our evolutionary proclivities to face and overcome challenge. It's been a fundamental part of who we are uh, for a long, long time. And I often think of the human animal as a species with amnesia. We kind of forgot, you know, because things have gotten quite good. And I know we can be pessimistic sometimes. And actually, polls show that uh, only 10% of Americans believe that we're actually making progress. That means 90% believe that life's not getting better. Now, on, on one hand, of course it is. You know, we've got more access to food and information and medicine and all of these luxuries of life. But on another hand, that points at something that maybe is missing. And the fact that we miss this challenge, this, this need to overcome and things have gotten too comfortable kind of creates a very safe, docile, sedentary lifestyle that's a little bit too clean, a little bit too neat. 
And that species with amnesia idea is that we've forgotten where we came from. And it's not about going back or romanticizing the past as much as just remembering who we are, remembering that we were a species that fought a lot, not necessarily physically, although I'm sure sometimes we did, but that life was a fight. We were conditioned to constantly be on the move, constantly moving, constantly hunting, constantly gathering, constantly dealing with the ever-changing nature of the seasons, intense heat and then intense cold and feasting and famine and everything in between. And now we have an incredibly easy life. This is the preface for the comfort crisis. And maybe what we need to do is embrace intentionally a little bit of discomfort to recover our wild self a little bit, to honor that animal that we are because it makes us feel alive and it's where we grow, right? We, we know that if we make easy choices consistently, life kind of gets hard. And there's a paradox, right? We think easy is good, but if we choose easy all the time, life gets hard because there's no growth there. Right? We don't grow in comfort. And if we choose the harder thing sometimes or consistently, life starts to get easier because that's where we start to expand our range a little bit. That's where we start to learn about ourselves. You can probably think about things you've gone through in the past that maybe were even really hard to go through traumatic, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to go through them again or relive them or wish them on another person. But I'm also sure there's a part of you that is grateful in a sense that it happened. And I've experienced this a lot with clients and just conversations with people who've overcome great challenges and difficulty. They look back on it almost with a fondness, a, a reverence, a respect for having to go through that because they learned about themselves through the struggle. You know, you don't learn too much about yourselves when life is, you know, all sunshine and rainbows and, the, you know, it's easy going. You learn about yourself when your back's against the ropes a little bit and life is throwing you curveballs and you are in discomfort. So I think what we want to be intentional of here is understanding that as life has gotten increasingly comfortable, we maybe have an unmet need to on purpose inject some chosen discomfort into our lives to choose a little bit of suffering so that when the involuntary suffering finds us in life we're a little more ready the way i like to frame this is to think of yourself like a tree right bear with me here a tree with no roots topples over in the storm and there's always another storm coming in life because this is just being a human there is amazing laughter and love and highs, but there's also lows. There's also challenge. There's also loss of loved ones and unexpected trauma. And if we don't dig our roots deep, really cement ourselves and ground ourselves, then when that storm comes, we topple over and we might even bring other people down with us. But if we can choose chosen suffering and face adversity and choose to reject comfort in some areas of our lives and really focus on growth and digging those roots, then we're basically readying ourselves for the next storm. When it does come, we don't necessarily have to topple over. We can bend a little bit without breaking. And that's really what we want because then not only are we reliable to ourselves, we know we're doing the things day to day to increase our capacity and our range so that we can handle a little bit more because life is coming for us in a sense, right? Nobody gets out alive. 
and there's always going to be some challenge. But we also become that pillar of strength for people maybe in our families or people in our communities. So we really need to dig those roots. And I think one of the best ways in we do that is to reject the comfort sometimes to go and seek some intentional discomfort. Now we can do this in many ways and I'm going to give you some ideas at the end because we usually default immediately to the physical. We usually think immediately like, yeah, exercise, get an aspirate, we're cold plunging. But other things can be uncomfortable too. You know, challenging old beliefs and putting yourself in new positions and, you know, going out, doing public speaking, for example. So there's many, many ways to reject the comfort crisis because too much comfort makes us a little bit soft and we don't want to get soft. Now, of course, the dose makes the poison. We don't want to get too hard either. We don't want to be suffering so much that that suffering breaks our back. You know, and we don't want to be choosing too much uncomfortableness and suffering and challenge if we're not allowing ample space to recover and rest because stress is stress is stress. And if you are not sleeping enough and you're overworked and underslept and then you're slashing calories and you're going like a madman or madwoman all the time, then actually the invitation there would be to slow down and recover a little bit more and lean into the comfort. But broadly speaking, a lot of us have a little bit too much comfort in our lives. Things have gotten remarkably easy. We can order food on the edge of our fingertips. We can seek quick, cheap, easy dopamine. And we've got that pretty much on demand 24-7. And for a long time, that was a good thing if you think about evolution. When we could be comfortable, it ensured survival. We weren't necessarily going out of our way to expend extra energy because it was inbuilt into our lives that if we could do that, of course we would do that because much of the rest of our lives was dealing with the elements and finding food and building shelters. So we have this evolutionary hangover, this baggage that still kind of pushes us into those comfort now, but we're surrounded by comfort and that becomes the problem. So the goal here is to start to seek it a little bit more, start to think about how to become more resilient, how to become stronger, because strength is never a weakness and weakness is never a strength. And if we get a little too comfortable, maybe we get a little too weak. So what other areas of our lives have we maybe gotten a little too comfortable? Well, I think this is one that we could think about, again, ancestrally in our culture, that we've even lost coming of age rituals and rites of passage and these these moments of chosen adversity that really allows us to step into the fullness of our potential to like really grow up and if you look at ancient cultures all across the world they 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 had these you know there's sun dances there's vision quests there's these ritual initiation processes that kind of take the boy into manhood or take the girl into womanhood it's this real you know adverse thing that somebody goes through to really show them that they're stronger than they believed they were. They're really powerful beyond the measures because they push through something that the mind wants to quit, the body wants to quit, but something else pulls them through that and allows them to come back to the tribe, to come back to their homes, to come back to their families. A little more put together, a little more whole, a little bit more mature, and a little bit more fully in the uh, adulthood instead of the child psychology that maybe many of us are facing, which is we look a lot like adults. We do adult things and have adult jobs and drive adult cars. But maybe at the level of the mind, we're stuck a little bit in that child psychology because we were never forced to grow up by facing these challenges. 
And if you look at children, they, they kind of need to be told what to do and what to think and how to move. And they're always looking outside of themselves for answers. And somebody that's truly in their mature adult thinking mind is able to think for themselves. Yeah, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to listen to this. And then I'm going to sit with that. And how does it feel for myself? Because I've learned to trust myself a little bit. Trust that inner voice, that intuition, and that wisdom. So that's what kind of going through an initiation or a rite of passage is all about. Now we can microdose this stuff, right? We can choose adversity each little day, you know, with a, a chosen CrossFit workout or a jujitsu class or a cold plunge or a sauna. Or again, like I said, more in the mental realm. Maybe I'm choosing adversity by really sharing a vulnerable piece of myself with my romantic partner, communicating in ways that I've not been able to communicate before. Or you can have these grandiose kind of overcoming moments like an initiation ritual. Like you go and do something crazy like a vision fast or you, you, know, you just challenge yourself in a, in a very profound way. But ultimately what it's all about is embracing and remembering again, the remembering of who we are, that we're so much stronger and wiser and just we have so much more range than we really tap into. And I really like this idea of everything that we do should be trying to expand our range a little bit. Because the more range we have, we go to those extremes, then the more when we come back to our center, the more grounded and balanced we are. Because I always say that experience is our greatest teacher. So to seek out these novel, uncomfortable things, reject the comfort crisis a little bit, gives us just a little bit more truth as to who we are, where we came from, a little bit more respect and reverence. And you can apply this to so much, right? The way in we just sit, the way that we can survive now with only walking 500 steps, you know, from our homes to our cars, to our office and back to our homes. Whereas in the past, it's inbuilt. This is where the 10,000 steps a day number comes from because our ancestors were walking all the time. They were out there. They were, they were having to move. Movement was life and movement is life. And now you see these, the needs for those are kind of um, reduced a little bit. So with that said, I want you to think about potentially where you've gotten a little too comfortable, where things have gotten a little too soft around the edges. Are you spending a little too much time sitting down? Are you not pushing yourself quite as much as you could be pushing yourself? Are you not embracing the change of the elements? Are you not just challenging yourself? Too much comfort will make you soft. We want to get a little bit more resilient, a little bit stronger, dig those roots again. So I have some ideas for you. I was thinking about some ways we could look at this uh, and, and keep it pretty tangible. So I was thinking about solitude is an interesting way to reject comfort. Um, this idea of choosing to be alone for a little bit, you know, choosing to go out and do a camping trip with yourself for a weekend where you leave the phone at home Check in with your loved ones, let them know where you're going, let them know when you're gonna be back. But going out and choosing solitude, choosing to go be in nature without the distractions, you know, without the constant kind of lingering need to check our phones and check the emails and to allow yourself to be bored. I think boredom is the birthplace of a lot of our creative genius. And we've kind of lost that skill. We've lost the, 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 the time really to just be bored. You see, anybody stops for any longer than 20 or 30 seconds and they immediately go to the phone or there's something that could be done 
Are they getting guilty about productivity and just being still? So you could just try some solitude. You could allow yourself to be alone, distraction-free, and get bored so you can tap into your genius. You could embrace nature's swings a little bit more. So this would be something like the, the embracing the elements. You know, Of course, being in nature would do that, but extreme cold and extreme heat from time to time, cold plunging and sauna. We was with the team this morning here at headquarters doing both of those things and just talking about the value in that when you want to quit, when you want to get out, but you stay a little bit longer than you could. You know, you stay, you do get to expand your range a little bit more. You embrace that discomfort. Maybe you try fasting from time to time. Again, being mindful of the stresses here because a lot of this rejecting comfort is inherently choosing stress. And we want to make sure we're in a well-resourced state when we do this. But this idea of good stress and bad stress, because not all stress is bad. There's such a thing as you stress, you know, the body's ability to respond and adapt and grow because it was put into stressful conditions. And fasting is not necessarily a dietary prescription that we like to push on people at all because it can be stressful, but it can be powerful sometimes to do that for a set amount of time to show yourself that this need to constantly feed ourselves and constantly have a fridge full of food or the Uber Eats at the end of our fingertips and maybe even what we think is hunger that might actually just be boredom to give ourselves the permission to say, you know what, let me try 24 hours without food and listen to my body and learn what it means to have real hunger and real cravings. Of course, we've got the classic one of working out, pushing yourself physically. Step number five in our pyramid. This is huge. When we push ourselves, that's a stress, right? We break the body down, it builds back stronger. So of course you can go and do something in the physical domain. Right? You can learn to lift weights. You can learn to you know, distance run or sprint or play or just pick something that you're not currently doing. Maybe you're already working out. Maybe you're really adept at lifting weights in the gym, but maybe there's a part of you that wants to learn how to fight a little bit. Maybe you want to learn some jujitsu or learn how to kickbox. And fighting the, the martial arts is a really good way to embrace discomfort because it's scary you know, to step into one of those gyms with these people that you're gonna wrestle with and you're gonna fight with and you're gonna play with. But it's a very safe way to do it. It's a safe way to microdose that adversity and expand your range. Learning skills could be a way to embrace discomfort. You know, figure out your level of competence and, and what you are lacking and figure out how to do stuff. You know, as simple as maybe learning how to change a tire, learning how to do an oil change on your car, becoming more competent at gardening, getting your hands dirty, looking after your land. You could also go into more of the mental domain here and start challenging your mindset, questioning your beliefs, building new habits, like step three of our framework. Maybe you don't have a mindset practice right now or an introspective practice and you want to embrace discomfort by truly sitting with yourself, meditating for 10 minutes a day, alone, no distractions. Just see what comes up relationships, romantic, professional, you know, friendships, communicating honestly your needs to people, you know, showing who you are really a little bit more, you know, asking for things, not being afraid to see what happens when you put yourself out there. If you're terrified of the idea of public speaking, go start microdosing that, you know, one day who knows what that turns into. You might be 
you know, doing stand-up comedy one day or speaking to people in your community about what you are so passionate about. Maybe that's health. So you can see very quickly, there are infinite ways to reject comfort because comfort's a physical, emotional, and mental kind of safe place that we retreat to. And it's not all bad, of course. We can enjoy our comforts, our nice beds at the end of the day, and our lovely creature comforts, but we just have to be cautious of a little too much of that. And we have to be intentional in choosing this adversity, choosing this suffering. But we've got to get the dose right, right? There seems to be a Goldilocks amount here. If you look at the psychological literature, people that have been buried by trauma, buried by stress, and are buried by that unchosen suffering, that involuntary suffering, they're more likely to suffer with things like anxiety and depression. But what's very interesting about that is if you look at the other extreme end of the spectrum, the people that have had none of it, and they just had it too easy, and they don't have any adversity, they don't have any chosen suffering in their life, they are equally as likely to suffer from things like anxiety and depression because they've not figured out really who they are. They've not got this growth through discomfort. They've not learned about who they can be when the back is up against the wall. So we want that just right dose of this. You need to check in with yourself, check in with your body. Maybe you're the person that needs to dial it back, but probably more likely is that you're the person that needs a little bit more of this. And you can start really small. It could be sitting on the floor a little bit more instead of the lazy boy recliner. It could be increasing your movement. It could be communicating better. There's many, many ways to achieve this desired outcome. I just wanted to speak to that today and remind you that too much comfort is making us soft and the world needs leaders and we need strong people, resilient people, people that have really dug their roots and I'll finish with a story, um, really cool, powerful reminder. And it's the story of the buffalo. And you might have heard this, but it's really empowering that when the buffalo sense a storm is coming on the horizon, on the plains, they don't see it and turn from it and run away because they know in running away, they're just delaying the inevitable. They just get more fearful and they're living in this anxious, oh my God, when's it going to catch us? Instead, they band together, they get their little herd, they get shoulder to shoulder, and they walk straight into the eye of that storm because they know the only way out is through. And that's a very empowering lesson for life. The only way out is through. And we can choose to enter the storm a little bit in our own lives. Whatever that is, whatever you're dealing with in here, whatever you want to accomplish out there, it's about facing the storm. And hopefully you've got tribe. Hopefully you've got people either side of you that you can band together and find that community and go. And if not, allow us to be that, all right? This is the beautiful thing about this digital world. We can find like-minded individuals through these channels and through these. So we're gonna band together, we're gonna go, we're gonna hold ourselves collectively accountable to being a little more resilient, to rejecting the comfort crisis, to embracing our wild selves, to remember who we are so we can really be intentional about where we are going. All right, so with that said, it's time for our questions today. We have four callers on the line. We've got some really good uh, insights here. So 
First up, we have Madison from Michigan, who's got a really cool question about tracking your health metrics and, and ways to kind of make sure that you can quantify it, I guess. So Madison, let's build on that question a little bit. Let's hear what you're curious about and then uh, let's offer you some insights. Hi, yeah, thanks for taking my call. That's exactly my question. Do you find it valuable to track your health with data metrics? Mm. And if so, what do you use? And just for my context, I feel my health is good, no complaints, no issues. I'm just curious if there's a way to optimize my health using data. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. That's awesome question, Madison. And I think the key here is the optimize piece. I think um, things like generic but very powerful how do you look how do you feel how do you perform those metrics will take you a very long way because ultimately that's your lived experience right if i am looking better if i'm feeling great if my performance is good and not not to conflate performance with just the physical but performance like how's my mental clarity over the day where's my energy levels at do i find myself you know reaching for extra coffee or you know my sleep is poor etc but if those three markers are good, you're in a pretty solid state, but maybe you want to optimize. Maybe you just want to know. And I think this is where the idea of like the self-quantified tools become valuable. And I'd issue a word of caution with them too, because I think we've become maybe over-dependent sometimes around technology. You know, like if you feel amazing, you slept good, your energy's high, but your whoop tracker or your aura ring gives you a low HRV or it's saying that your readiness is low and you should take it down. What do you trust more? Do you trust your own lived experience of, wait, but I actually feel awesome. Or do you trust the technology? Uh, so there can be a little disconnect sometimes, but again, I think it's good to gather data. I think things that you're alluding to, like those trackers, like monitoring HRV, like monitoring pulse, et cetera, can be really cool tools. And the more data you gather, the more easily you're going to be able to pull out trends. And I think over the long run, this data is more powerful than maybe the snapshots. You know, one check-in of your HRV is going to be interesting, but it's not going to tell you that much. But a month of HRV, six months of HRV and sleep data and what your body's doing during sleep and your REM cycles and your core temperature and trends over time will allow you a little bit more meat to the ideas of what's really working for you. And you'll be able to pick up on trends. Like, oh, when I do this, this happens. When I do this, this happens. In terms of other things you can do, of course, you've got um, blood work. It's always cool to get some blood work um, in an ideal world. I think people should you know, get blood work at certain points in their life where they're feeling really good. So they've got a baseline to work from. You know, So get blood work wherever you're at right now and you know, continue to just you know, emphasize how do you look, feel, and perform. But, you know, maybe you recheck that if you're if you're kind of more data-driven. Maybe you want an annual checkup and you want to see where all of these things are at yearly. Maybe you want to go every couple of years you're going to check in. Every five years you're going to check in. It's going to add a little bit more nuance to what you're feeling. Um, and maybe you can pick up on some things that might be flying under the radar. So there's always value in this stuff. For me uh, personally as well, and you mentioned it here in the notes, is is also physical performance and fitness metrics and things like that. You know, I always want to make sure that I'm maintaining like a baseline level of fitness, you know, especially as I age and I'm getting older, I still want to make sure that I can, you know, do certain skills that I deem important for me. You know, can I sit 
in a body weight squat and just hold it for five minutes from a mobility perspective? Can I always make sure that I can do 10 pull-ups, for example, or 100 push-ups, for example, and having these metrics that are showing me a very tangible representation of where my metric of health is? And then the other things that you like to do personally, maybe you run a little bit, so you're monitoring your 10K time. Maybe you CrossFit a little bit, so you're seeing your personal bests raise over time. Or you're lifting in the gym, you want to see that number moving upwards. Whatever these things are, I think it's good to gather data. And I don't think we should be a prisoner to data. I think that ultimately you are living in the best piece of technology ever imaginable and describable, which is this, the human body, the meat suit, which is telling you anything and everything you could know at any one time about your recovery, about your vitality, about how good your sleep was last night, about your hormonal health through your, your drive and your sex drive and, and just your vitality and your outlook on life and your mental health, your ability to check in with yourself and really listen, to get still. What's, what's alive for me right now? What's present for me right now? What am I getting stuck on? So I think probably the ideal solution is a blend of these two. Let's use some of our modern technology as a really cool tool to validate my theories, my hypothesis that I've got about how something is working. Let me validate it and see if the data supports that idea. I think that can be a really cool thing to do. So yeah, wearables and tech and fitness tests and all of this, they, they can be very valuable. Um, again, I would just caution against handing over your own sovereignty to those and, and not potentially letting a number on an app gaslight you of how you personally feel. Because this can get a little bit into that realm of being too beholden to the readiness score, too beholden to whatever it is, when internally you're like, I feel amazing. I look good, I feel good, I'm performing good. So just a word of caution, but feel free to use them. Blood test, wearables, all of that stuff are tools. And one of my favorite quotes about that is that you can use tools and they're incredibly effective, but if the tools are using you, then who is the tool? So just an, a word of caution. Thanks for calling in, Madison. That was a really cool question. And I hope there's some interesting insights to chew on there a little bit. Okay. Next up, we have Mitchell from Pennsylvania. He's got a couple of questions here about water and maybe some probiotic stuff and oh maybe even some mold Mitchell what is going on my friend help us understand a little bit of what's going on here and we'll see how we can help I just had a few questions uh, I want to start with I just purchased my first reverse osmosis water filter and I wanted to know you guys' take on whether or not remineralizing was necessary and if so how I would go about that yeah, that's a good point. Um, firstly, good job on cleaning up your environment. That's, uh, you know, that's one of our steps of kind of looking into the environment, those environmental toxins. I think water is very undervalued and cleaning that up and getting yourself off the municipal supply. So good job. So with reverse osmosis, yes, you can get clean water, but we do know that it can pull out some of those minerals too. So you can totally remineralize your water with some good quality trace mineral drops. Um, I actually think the brand that is you know, really reputable in the space is just called Trace Minerals. Um, but also just thinking about when, when you lose trace minerals as well, we're more so thinking about electrolytes, you know, salt, uh, sodium, potassium, magnesium, which we get from an animal-based diet that's well formulated. So is it necessary to remineralize? Um, I wouldn't say necessary. 
but could you potentially be leaving something on the table if you're not remineralizing? Yes. So I think it's just appropriate vetting of what the source of these trace minerals look like and, you know, feeling free to add, add some of those liquid drops into your water day by day and just kind of like giving yourself a little, a little insurance policy that your water is more complete and then focusing always uh, when we think about water, we're thinking about cleanliness and quality, but we're also thinking about electrolytes too, sodium, magnesium, potassium. So of course, not being fearful of heavily salting foods and you know getting the potassium from fruit the magnesium and and those things from an animal-based diet and raw dairy all of that stuff so that's what i'd add on the reverse osmosis and remineralizing water piece mitchell but you had a couple of other questions what else have we got yeah thank you um i have a question regarding black mold and mold in in general mm. um i was just wondering uh what health negative health effects can exposure to black mold have as well as what would be the most efficient way to test for black mold in a household yeah that's a very good question because it's a big question in terms of what effects on your health can exposure to chronic mold have it gets really deep really wide really quick as it can show up in a lot of different ways this might be having a few more colds and sinus issues than would typically be normal for you, especially if you're healthy, you're on an animal-based diet, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to get sick once or twice a year and you kind of want to prime the immune system with that. But if you're constantly stuffy, constantly congested or getting sick a lot of the time, there might be a hidden stressor in the environment here, which could definitely be mold. When you get extreme levels of exposure over prolonged periods of time, you start to see chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, you start to get hyperactivity of the immune system. So you could start to see autoimmune-like conditions. You can get mast cell activation syndrome. You start to have problems with histamines, which means like, you know, fermented foods and dairy can give you problems, even really high doses of citrus fruits because of vitamin C. So they would be the red flags, I guess I would be looking for if you have a concern. If you're thinking about this, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen it in the corners of your house, in your shower. Of course, with something like mold, the best case scenario is removal and addressing the mold, um, You know, getting out of the place that has the mold. Easier said than done, because what if that's your home? Or what if that's your apartment that you've got six months left on the lease? So testing is where it gets interesting because there are a bunch of tests now. You can even find uh, at-home mold tests on Amazon. I can't really speak to the validity of those and how good they are. I think this is going to be a case of doing a little bit of digging and using our Dr. Google friend to find reputable um, mold tests. But I think the eyeball test is pretty good here. Of course, you can't see through walls, but you can look in the corners of places that have a lot of moisture in your home. The bathroom is the number one place to go. I would also look under the window units in your house because maybe you've had heavy rainfall and it gets through a crack. If you're using um, air conditioners that are mounted in the windows, not like a whole house HVAC system, that's usually a source of mold growing because the water can get in the back of that, kind of sits, it gets stagnant. So like I said, I can't give you the name of a reputable test. Um, we will do our best to find something and track it down, but the eyeball test is a pretty good measure here. And also referring back to those physical symptoms and just kind of asking the question of are some of those things showing up for me? And why am I even asking this question of the mold? Because you might already be seeing it. And if you're seeing it, then there's a good chance that there's a lot more of it in places that you can't see too. 
which is a problem. Um, can you eradicate mold? Yes, but apparently it's a it's a pretty hefty task and it's not the cheapest thing to do. So I'm uh, I'm hopeful for you that there's just a little bit here, um, you know, and if it's just happening in the moisture ridden areas of your house, like your showers and stuff, you can actually just clean that up with some bleach and, and, and kill that guy and then protect yourself by, you know, keeping your immune system in order and balanced by eating a nice, you know, well-balanced organic as much as you can animal-based diet and kind of just trusting that your body is resilient enough to handle micro exposures. But when we start to get into macro exposures, that's when we start to run into problems. So how are we feeling on that Mitchell? And uh, I think you had one more question maybe. Yeah, that's awesome information. It really helps a lot. Thank you. Um, I just had one more question regarding uh, the use of probiotics mm. on an animal-based diet. A reading in the carnivore code, Paul mentioned that he doesn't think that probiotics are necessary mm. on a carnivore diet. And he also listed a few particular strains that he would recommend if you were considering taking probiotics. Mm. But I just want to know your guys' take on that and if there were any recommendations on brands for probiotics. Yeah, cool. Can I, I'll ask you a follow-up question though. What, what is your motivation, if you will, for wanting to include uh, probiotic? Um, I take, I do have heart and soil gut and digestion awesome. that I take. So, uh, but I just acquired that and I just started taking that. So I'm hoping that like my, like I don't really have gut issues, but I'm hoping that I can improve my gut with that rather than resorting to probiotics. But I just wanted to learn some more about that in case, you know? Yeah, cool. No, thank you. I, I was just curious because I know that gut health is a, is a hot topic and I was wondering if maybe you're like most of us that you know had a lot of maybe antibiotic use in you're trying to like really think about healing or something like that so what I would add is the recommendations that stand in Paul's book around those specific strains are, you know still stand for us we don't you know sit here and recommend you know um, probiotic supplements or brands because we think that nature is best uh, the issue with probiotics that are sold over the shelves, and I'm so, sure there are some that are, you know, much, they, they survive the GI tract much better and they have more bioavailability and use. However, we're always going to steer you towards things like fermented products, in particular, like fermented dairy is a huge fan. That's, that's our, that's our probiotic. That's what we're going to say to people is like fermented kefir goat milk kefir, cow milk kefir, that's incredibly beneficial for kind of creating more of this healthy population of bacteria in the gut. And we've also got to remember that, you know, it's not necessary that this old trope that the more colorful of the rainbow you can eat and you need an abundant amount of fiber and veggies is going to create the beneficial kind of population of bacteria down there because we've even seen that there's a study from harvard that shows even the carnivore diet which is a lot more strict than the animal-based diet and the complete removal of plants and no fruits doesn't necessarily decrease alpha diversity in the gut compared to more of an omnivorous diet. So what we really now focus on, especially with an animal-based framework, is we're eating plenty of fruit, we're eating dairy, and we can get in those ferments. And if you really want to, you know, shore up and, and, and ensure against that a little bit more, then yeah, throw in some other fermented foods. If you feel, you know, drawn to and your digestion responds well to like fermented kimchi and things like that, then for sure add those because that's going to be our recommendation as opposed to, you know, going for something off Amazon or going for something from a provider because 
we always trust the wisdom and innate intelligence of real food, the power of that, and uh, and the the bioavailability of that. So I was really cool because I was I was wondering about the gut and digestion supplement for you. I thought it would be really powerful. So I think what I'd like to also add in, hook you up with a member of our health and success team here as the icing on this animal-based cake is a bottle of immunomilk that's got colostrum in it. And if you're ever thinking about gut health and its relationship to immunity, then colostrum is pretty much a miracle food. So we'll get you a bottle of that as well, Mitchell. So thank you for calling in, man. Those were great questions. I hope you've got some good stuff to have a think about there. All right. Next up, we have Sophie from sunny Florida. She's got a really cool question about raising children in the modern world as a single mom. So Sophie, please give us a little more depth of this question, a little more nuance, and then uh, let's see what we can come up with. Hey, Steve. Sure, thank you. Thank you for taking my question. I am an aunt of two beautiful toddlers right now, and I'm pretty active in their upbringing. So mm. I've been watching them grow. Um, I'm also a four-year-old woman planning motherhood as a single woman. And based on what I'm seeing in the world, the systems in place for education, how the society is going, the, you know, the health of our society, I just can't help but wonder how do you raise children mm. in the VC world that we live in this country? And, and how do you find the right systems for health, education, uh, medicine, anything, you know, um, that is preventing children and even mothers to have healthy outcomes in the future? Yeah, yeah, really, really good, really important question. Something that's very present and alive for me. I have a, a three-year-old son at home, and this is just really something that's on our minds as parents a lot. And, you know, you have this caveat here as well of the approach uh, from the single mom perspective, which increases the challenge. And, you know, one thing that is always so powerful and impressive to me is is the power of single moms and how they can just get so much done. And, and you know, watching my wife in that role of motherhood is just so incredibly humbling because it's just, I can't even wrap my head around how how you can do it. And to do that as a standalone figure as the single mom is incredibly powerful and strong and brave. And it presents challenges. And I think not only these challenges, like you said, that the world is somewhat set up to not have our best interests at heart when it comes to health or education or empowerment, different, you know, creative learning styles versus the classic schooling system, et cetera. But also the, the, the difficulty of continuing breakdowns of the nuclear family and the challenges that come when there's not a balance of both of those roles of masculine and feminine, of mom and dad inside of the households, because that puts a lot of pressure on single moms to play good cop, bad cop, to try and be dad and mom. And it's really difficult. So I think we always look at things from this ancestral lens. And always when you look and study the way that children are raised, and there's the old, the, the old idea that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think we're increasingly moving away from that. And it's this, you know, just these these small little pockets of people that are trying to manage so much without that big support system around them. And I think we really need to lean into that a little bit more. Like, who are our friends? Who are our families? How can we lean on these external groups to also help us on this process? Because it's a lot and it takes a lot. 
So in the case of, you know, potentially, you know, single momdom and then getting into, you know, as your kid gets a little bit older, if you want them to have, you know, strong male role models too, hopefully family are filling that void and providing that role. But thinking about things like martial arts gyms and sporting environments and gymnastics gyms and just good coaches that can really help to fill that void uh, from that perspective. And then from the you know health perspective and empowerment is to understand that parenthood is leadership to a certain degree. And what you do for you, your kids will watch and they will follow. And it's not necessarily about what you say as a parent, it's about what you do. You know, your actions speak volumes. And if you're th even thinking about this like you are, I guarantee you're ahead of most people because most people are just, they're, they're beholden to this system, these ideas of the way we should raise children. And this is just how it is. And this is what it looks like. As soon as you start questioning that about like, oh yeah, what, what we feed our children matters. And applying this very same framework that we have, you know, Number one, include organs. I get organs into my son's diet. We sneak them in in all kinds of ways. My wife makes these delicious animal-based chicken nuggets. The breading is pasture-raised pork rinds ground up. It's organic chicken ground up. It's binded with egg. It's fried. We sneak little liver pills from heart and soil into his food. He doesn't know any difference. And step number two is eliminate the processed food. You know, since he was a kid, he's not really ate any seed oils, very little gluten-containing grains because we know that's not creating the environment for him to thrive. Now, of course, kids are going to grow up and they're going to have to learn stuff the hard way and make mistakes for themselves. But I think we're setting our kids up for as much success, health, and vibrancy when we do this for ourselves first and they are a natural extension of the environments that they're raised in. In terms of the kind of third pillar within this question that you had of the education and the, and, and, and the teaching is just to understand that kids are naturally curious. Um, the way in which we learn can be very different and the traditional schooling system isn't right for everyone. And for some people, it's a necessity because both mom and dad work or just mom works and she has to put the kid into school. And I'm not here to just poo-poo on the school system. It has a lot of benefits, but it naturally has a lot of drawbacks too. If we think about our schooling system, it was kind of really thrust into the mainstream around the dawn of the, agri uh, the industrial revolution. It was really designed to kind of churn out good little factory workers, right? And it still resembles that system. Our whole world has upgraded so quickly and technology and everything is so advanced now. And the equivalent like framing for school is like, it's still a horse drawn cart while life is flying cars and sending rockets to space. It's very antiquated, it's very outdated. And it only serves a certain kind of learning style, this memorization, sit in rows, listen to the expert, put your hand up when you want to speak. And, um, you know, kind of maybe beats out creativity a little bit. So you've got to kind of recognize that maybe within your children that you supplement the learning that they're getting in school to open them up to new creative pursuits. Or if you have the potential to do something like homeschooling or a homeschool co-op, there's a growing number of people that are interested in that. They want to remove themselves from this kind of box of the traditional education system because if you're like me and you went through it and now you can reflect back, it didn't serve me very well. I was never very happy in that. So now I have the experience to say, well, I wish I could have had a different experience and I can, but I learned from it. And now I can give my son a different experience. Um, and now we're finding more and more of these pockets and communities arising around us 
and we've got a home school co-op and it seems that the the awareness around this is is growing so yeah it's it's a big question and there's a lot of unknowns there's a lot of open loops and there's a lot of pressure and i think that's another thing that needs to be spoken about a little bit more with this parenting there's so much pressure to get it all right and to be perfect and to not make any mistakes but that's not realistic you know you're a human too right and you're going to drop the ball sometimes and you're going to make mistakes and maybe you've only recently found this healthy living thing and you're thinking about oh my you know the way i've raised my kid in the past i fed them all this garbage what have i done i'm a monster no you're not when we know better we can do better that's what we're all doing here we're just trying to learn we're just trying to do the best for the future generations that are going to come after us the fact that you're even here asking that question gives me a lot of hope that you're thinking in the right realms and I hope there's some good ideas or thoughts and threads that you can pull on there because it's a challenge, but it's a beautiful one. And I think if we approach it from the framing of empowerment and abundance, it's it's more optimistic and hopeful instead of all doom and gloom. And the system is so broken because we get to be the change makers for the future. So really powerful question, Sophie. Thank you for asking that one. And uh, last, but certainly not least, is Brett from Idaho, who has a question about um, a little bit of a wrist slapping from relatives about his raw liver habits and uh, maybe some concerns around gout. So Brad, uh, sorry, Brett, tell me the story, my friend. How can we help you uh, and, and arm you with some good information so you can go back to the family and tell them why? They should leave you alone and let you eat your liver in peace. Yeah, for sure, Steve. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've been eating animal-based now for about six months or so. Um, and, you know, every time family's in town or we're visiting family and I've got my heart and soil pills and mm. I've got my little, you know, glass container of, of some frozen liver shooters that I do, um, it's always brought up like, oh, aren't you worried about gout or mm. yeah, in a diet sense in general, aren't you worried about the long-term risks of so much red meat in your diet? And so, yeah, whatever advice you have or whatever, um, you know, kind of elevator pitch answers you have to, to help give me something to say back to them, you know, that'd be great. Yeah, man, absolutely. So let me ask you this question for six months in, how are you feeling? How are you looking? How are you performing? What's your health reflecting at this point? I feel amazing, to be honest with you. I've lost um, about 50 pounds now. That's with wow. quite a bit of exercise, but the diet has also been incredible. Um, eating completely animal-based for that long has been, it's been amazing. I look amazing. I feel great. Um, it's been life-changing all around. Let's go, Brett. Um, I think that's why I always want to, you know, remind people of that. Let your example be the testimony, you know, like... Right. Yes. And we're going to talk about this, of course, we're going to answer your question, but you are a living, breathing embodiment of what it means to show that this way of life works and that you can let that just example and those actions speak uh, much louder than anything that you can really say, you know, like with your family. And, and it's it's a, it's a curious space, right? I've gone through this with my family, too. Like we love them. We want to bring them on this journey with us, especially, you know, down 50 pounds. I feel better than I've felt in years. Like you want to get them on the train. You want to get them eating the red meat and giving the, the liver pills. But it's sometimes hard to reach our family. And there's the old adage, you can, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink. 
what I say is you can you can make the horse curious. Uh, and what you do and how you do that is by just living your radical health. And it sounds like you're doing that. And it gives you a little more, you know, just there's a little more veracity to your claims when you're a living, breathing embodiment of what it means to be reclaiming your health. So now let's address the, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room here, which is how, how do you kind of arm yourself with this um, aside from just letting your vibrant health speak volumes? Um, so the concern here is really with liver in particular, you're looking at the high amount of purines um, and the uric acid relationship, and that's always been tied to gout. And, and the red meat is probably the more common concern for people when they think about an animal-based diet because not that many people are eating liver, um, and, and but they're very focused on red meat gives you gout, no? And how can you eat all of this and, and be fine? And okay, yeah, you've lost 50 pounds, but you're going to get gout down the road, and it's like... Probably not, because what we do know about gout unequivocally is it basically doesn't exist absent metabolic syndrome. Like if you can reverse the metabolic syndrome, when we say that, we're thinking about insulin resistance as the primary driver here, which is dysregulating this whole um, purine uric acid metabolism. That's the driver of gout. Now, 50 pounds ago before you started this journey, could you have potentially run into issues? Then maybe because the insulin resistance was probably there. But as you're getting healthier and healthier, you're in, you're, you're kind of improving your metabolic function. You're getting increasingly insulin sensitive. You're removing the very inflammatory foods from the diet, the ultra processed foods and the seed oils in particular that are driving that cytokine storm and that inflammatory pathway basically going to sit here and say the risk of you getting gout by including some liver shooters in your diet and eating red meat is borderline non-existent even if you have a family history of that because you've addressed the thing the elephant in the room again that nobody's focusing on when it comes to gout it's always pinning the blame on the red meat because of this relationship between uric acid and purines and never actually looking at why this is a problem in the first place, which is metabolic dysfunction and insulin resistance. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that if you're feeling healthier and you're down 50 pounds, you are well on your way to addressing that, if not completely put it into remission. So that's kind of what I would say, Brett. I would just always refer back to gout is an issue of metabolic dysfunction and insulin resistant, not an issue of cholesterol, saturated fat, red meat, um, and they are the things that are hindering this um, metabolism and causing, you know, the, the gout formation. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you, Brett. And just keep living your radical health, man. That, again, is the, is the most powerful testimony you'll ever have. It's going to speak volumes. Cool. Thank you, fam. What another uh, great bunch of questions. And, um, yeah, just remembering, as always, that your radical health is your birthright, but it's going to take a little bit of work to get there. And one of that, one of those pieces of advice is that you need to embrace a little bit of discomfort along the way. Making change is hard. Choosing to completely overall your diet is hard. Choosing to start an exercise routine is hard but it's the hard that you are choosing. And if you choose the right hard now and can cultivate the discipline to do that day after day, they turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And by choosing the hard thing, life is gonna get easier because you're gonna become the kind of person that you've always dreamt of being. You're gonna be living your radical health journey. So reject comfort, do not fall victim to the comfort crisis, remember, that you are a lot stronger than you sometimes believe you are and you have to intentionally seek adversity 
to reclaim your radical health. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our callers. We will see you next week. Let us know in the comments what you're going to do this week to get uncomfortable and reject the comfort crisis. See you next time. Thank you, fam. Bye-bye. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.